What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The mysterious realm of the unknown, where many things are not as they appear to be. Tonight, the KGRA Digital Broadcast Network takes you to the often overlapping worlds of science and unexplained phenomena, which bring us to the very edge, edge, edge of reality. And now, here's the man who brought UFOs to the United Nations, your host and guide into Edge of Reality Radio, Lee Spiegel. Welcome, everyone. You have once again successfully crossed over the line and into Edge of Reality Radio on the KGRA Digital Broadcast Network. I'm Lee Spiegel, host of these proceedings, still from an undisclosed location somewhere in North America. Do you ever wonder why we don't hear more scientists coming forward to discuss their own interests and uh, behind-the-scenes quiet research of UFOs. At the end of June this year, a United States government report on UFOs said that defense and intelligence experts didn't have enough data to explain those mysterious objects that continue to operate in the skies above our planet. They still baffle all attempts to learn what they are, where they come from, who makes them, And why are they here? At the very least, the government has acknowledged that the the matter should definitely be looked at by scientists. We've certainly come a long way to even hear that kind of suggestion from the policymakers of America and other countries. Now, while, while many scientists continue to be in denial about the whole range of paranormal topics, and and they're still afraid to step into these areas with an open mind. Tonight, we're going to explore this situation with, and here it comes, a scientist. Dr. Irina Scott is an author and retired physiologist. She received a BS degree in astronomy and biology from Ohio State University, an MS degree from the University of Nevada, and a Ph.D. from the University of Missouri, as well as completing her postdoctoral studies at Cornell University. She has done research at the Battelle Memorial Institute and worked in the fields of behavior, physiology, neurobiology, and ecology. Dr. Scott also worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency, and the Aerospace Center in Satellite Photography, and was a volunteer astronomer at the Ohio State University Radio Observatory. She's written several books. Her newest one is Beyond Pascagoula, The Rest of the Amazing Story. Other books include Sacred Corridors, Secrets Behind the Real Project Blue Book, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Roswell, Battelle, 
Memory Metal, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and UFO Cover-Ups. Wow, that, that's all one title. <clears throat> this is great. Uh, another book was Inside the Lightning Ball, Scientific Study of Lifelong UFO Experiencers, and a book called UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up. Dr. Irina Scott takes a scientific approach to the UFO phenomenon and has published papers about UFO data in peer-reviewed scientific journals. She's also listed in Who's Who in the World and Who's Who in Frontier Science and Technology. Yep, she's a scientist. I'm not listed in any Who's Who of any places. Her, her website is Irina scott.com and i'll give that out again throughout the show dr irena scott welcome to edge of reality radio how are you great and it's great to be here and thanks for the invitation oh <clears throat> thanks for accepting the invitation uh i want to let folks know that uh, dr scott's new book is as i mentioned a minute ago is beyond pascagoula the rest of the amazing story and th- this case was one of two important UFO encounters that took place within a week of each other back in 1973. The first case happened on October 11th of that year. It involved two men, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, who claimed that while they were fishing from a pier on the Pascagoula, Mississippi River, they were abducted by aliens who arrived in an oval-shaped object. The two men described their unwelcome visitors as looking very robotic-like and who reportedly took Charlie and Calvin into their ship where they were subjected to an examination. Now, the other story that caught my attention in 1973 happened a week after the Pascagoula incident. On October 18th, after Hickson and Parker reported their experience in Mississippi, The four-man crew of an Army Reserve helicopter nearly collided with an unidentified flying object over Ohio. With witnesses on the ground, this quickly became one of the most impressive UFO cases in history. The way the news media treated both of these stories led me to want to know much more about the whole UFO topic. Uh, Dr. Scott, several books have already come out about the Pascagoula, Mississippi case, and now we see yours beyond Pascagoula, the rest of the amazing story. What more has happened or been reported since the original events of 1973 involving Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker? Have have more eyewitnesses come forward to even corroborate their story? Yes, that's what uh, the book is mainly about. The first two books were about the abduction and mine is about everything else. And um, we found a number of other people who have reported UFOs. There were a lot of reports back then, and people didn't come forward. But now we're hearing from people, and we're trying to check whether they've um, told people earlier that they saw something. So there's a number of other witnesses. And also at the same time as the um, abduction, there was a huge, huge UFO wave that was all over the United States and maybe even all over the world. All kinds of people were seeing UFOs at the same time. And so also the book is about that. I remember 
um, that whole week and that time, and you're right, there were UFOs. We used to call them either UFO flaps or waves. And, and it really caught the attention of the media. And it was one of the few times, I think, historically, where the media wasn't just ridiculing the stories or ridiculing the people who were reporting the stories. Uh, one, one of the things that, that, that you've written about are the instruments that Hickson and Parker claimed were used to examine them by these so-called beings that they said abducted them. I- instruments resembling modern-day computerized axial tomography or CAT scan that we now know this. What can you tell us about that? Well, I don't, I don't think they had it back then. And what they reported was is that something came out of the wall and s- spun around them or like it was looking at them, like it was scanning them, which gave the impression they were being scanned. And uh, even today, we don't have anything like that. Today, you have to lay down on a cot and they push you in a scanner and it, uh, kind of, it, um, kind of circles around. But this seemed even better than what we have today. I mean, if it, if it was really scanning, which it gave the impression they were, it, it was doing. Again, this was 1973. Uh-huh. And, and you and I, we were talking the other day and we, we started comparing the story of Charlie and uh, and Calvin compared to the 1961 story of Betty and Barney Hill from New Hampshire, who probably their encounter with something that followed them and they when they were driving to, uh, from Canada back roads to their Portsmouth, New Hampshire home, and and they claimed that they were also abducted on on board this ship and. That was probably the the first UFO abduction story in modern history, against which many other stories, even like the Pascagoula story, have been either compared to or judged against. And one of the things about the uh, the Betty and Barney Hill story was that Betty, in describing under hypnosis, in trying to recall what happened on board this craft, she said that uh, she was lying on a table and and these the, the creatures or occupants of that craft they inserted some kind of of a needle into her navel and it was very painful she said and and they actually apologized to her and one of them passed the hand over across her, her her eyes and the pain went away and she said well what are you doing and they told her that it was a test for pregnancy. And if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that in 1961, there was no such test uh, for pregnancy, but I believe that there is now. And maybe you can uh, confirm that to me. It's almost like the thing about Calvin and, Ch- and Charlie talking about how this thing that examined them, we didn't have that kind of technology back then, and yet they, that's what they described. What do you think? That was another uh, unique thing is, is that they didn't test for pregnancy that way, um, and they do now. I think they um, it, they fill the abdomen up with gas and then probe and um, test for pregnancy by sticking a needle in. And I don't think they had that test at all back then. And and still, 
the hardcore skeptics and the debunkers will say, well, they were just making it all up. I mean, really, <laughs> you know, you get to a point where how many times can you hear someone say, yeah, they just made it all up? Well, how could they make something up that didn't even exist and now exists as actual medical procedures? You know, get me started on this stuff, right? Uh, and and the other thing about the Pascagoula story uh, that that actually was very unique in in your book, do you do you mention that that there was like a either a second abduction uh, by the same beings, or could it have been done by two with two other men and not Charlie and Calvin? How, what what is that about? Uh, among the people that came forward and said they'd seen something, there was a couple that had been parked on the other side of uh, the Pascagoula River from him. And um, when I first talked to them, they seemed kind of confused. We didn't hear directly from them. We heard from their kids. Mm-hmm. And then um, we contacted them. But they might have seen the the object that abducted them. They might have also watched the abduction, although we don't know. And they might have been abducted themselves. Uh, and possibly by the same thing that <laughs> abducted um, um, Charlie and Calvin. And were, they, were these the only other folks, uh, the only other human victims that were involved in the Pascagoula case that you know of? There were a number of people that saw things, and there were some. Um, I think that on the night of the abduction that the police reported, there were like 50 recorded reports of UFOs that night and uh, quite a number that weren't recorded by the police department. So there were a lot of witnesses of something. Oh, you mean in, in and around the Pascagoula area? Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and again, you know, what would, what would debunkers say? Well, they were just seeing the moon, the planet Venus, um, conventional aircraft. I mean, really. Uh, but that's, that's a pretty f- big figure up to, up to 50 people who reported seeing something that they thought was unusual at the time. And, and did a lot of those reports correspond to the timeline of when Hickson and Parker claimed that they had their experience? Yes, so they wouldn't have been, I mean, that didn't come out until a day later, I think. And so um, the reports that came in before that weren't influenced by the media or anything. They were influenced by something strange that they saw and reported it to the police department. I'm, I'm curious, Irina, when did you first hear about the Pascagoula case? When I first heard about it, it was something that happened to me many, many years ago, actually, on that same date. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But I didn't really pay attention to it until many years later. Um, what happened to me on <laughs> October the 11th, 1973 was, is that, and I didn't pay attention to the date. I found that out later, too. Hmm. I was in Missouri studying for my Ph.D., and my mother was in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, which was about 600 miles away. And for some reason, my mother called and said, did you hear that noise? And um, that was a long ways away. And so I started joking. And she always said if she um, if we ever thought she had dementia, that we should tell her. And so I told her to report to the insane asylum and everything and, you know, joked. But <laughs> she seemed sort of serious, and she kept asking me if I heard a noise. And I said no. And then several days later, she called and said that in Ohio there was just a huge UFO wave. And she said that people were staying in at night, and one of her friends was chased by a UFO and all kinds of things that, People kept their kids in at night, and it was just like a war zone or something. And she's a real strong skeptic. She didn't have any interest in that. And, and so, this, was, this, was, this was October 11th, 1973. Well, at, yeah, but I didn't pay attention to it for many years. Yeah. I was working at Ohio State, and one day just for a whim, I decided to go in. They had a newspaper room, and I thought I'd go in and see if I could find out when – that happened. Oh. And so I went in, there were all these newspapers and I didn't remember the date and I thought I'll never find it. But I didn't mm. think it was around the middle of October and I pulled out about two papers out of these zillions of papers and actually found it. Wow. I started exploring that. Wow. So that was your first indication of the Charlie and Calvin uh, incident. Wow. Uh and, and that bring, brings me now to, to this related question, which is, what was it about their encounter, the whole story that's now decades old? Why did you decide? What was going on in your life where you decided to do your own book and call it Beyond Pascagoula? What was happening that made you think, well, it needs an, another book? Well, I had... Um for some reason, I got very interested in the noise. I think it was because it was just something with millions of witnesses that nobody could explain. And that's the first thing I did. I um, Some scientists contacted me. I had been doing some research and was going to put it in a journal. And as the state of Ohio seismologist contacted me and helped me do my research. Um and then, so I had done a, um, written in the scientific, the period scientific literature about the sound, um, and had done a fair amount of research on it. 
But then I had become UFO dormant for a number of years after that. That's what basically brought me into UFOs. Yeah. And um, I had I'd been kind of paying attention. I sort of had a manuscript, and I uh, Philip Mantle of Flying Disc Press published my first book, which I was very happy about. And that was, he then got interested and was able to get information about Pascagoula. Well, I had already been working on that sound, mm-hmm. and he wanted somebody, he was, you know, a man in England, and Pascagoula is in southern United States with <laughs> right. accents and things. And he kind of wanted, you know, somebody with an American accent to call from, you know, like a woman and call from here instead of him calling. And so he asked me to call and also I could I had the ability to tape the recordings with people. Oh. So I started doing that. Oh. That was the reason. I I vaguely remember that at the time, in nineteen seventy three, the media reported on on some strange widespread boom. That was that was like the, the, the main headlines, like what was that boom that everybody heard? And it was heard and felt by a lot of people in America. Uh, what was this boom captured or recorded on any kind of equipment at the time? Yes, it was uh, captured on two seismographs. The um, scientist who helped me, we looked on a number of seismographs. He knew the seismograph stations and we didn't find ones where it had been, but as I did research, it was um, registered on two seismographs, one in Pennsylvania and one in New York, which were around 135 miles away from each yeah. other. Um, and, and at the time, was there anything totally unique about this sound, um, maybe also the fact that it was so widespread, uh, something unique and and what was the final explanation about it, or, or was it never even fully explained? It was uh, very unique because it stretched all the way from um, Iowa to the coast, the Atlantic coast, which is a long ways, and it might have been the largest uh, sound in extent ever recorded, except for that Krakatoa volcano. Oh wide yeah. area and had a whole lot of witnesses and made the newspapers right across the country, right in sequence. I mean, you know, a few minutes later they heard farther East and so on all the way across the country. And so it was very unique at first. They um, explained it as the big supersonic airplane, then the SR 71. And even when it landed, they thought, they admonished the pilots for making such a boom or something. But then the, yeah. by the next day, they thought it was way too large and wide to have been done by that airplane. And so the next explanation was is that maybe it was a meteor that uh, grazed the earth. But I actually, I don't think they ever really explained it. I think it just it, they didn't pay attention to it. Um even though it went over Washington D.C. and places, yeah, pay a bit attention to it. Looking back on it, do you 
do you have any a personal opinion or have you talked with other people who have given any possibility that it has anything to do with the UFO phenomenon? It happened at the same time as um, the Pascagoula abduction. There was quite a bit quite a bit of activity there. But there was also quite a bit of UFO activity going on in Ohio and all across the country. And the um, sound went across um, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and then to the coast, Maryland and so on, um, which wasn't where the Pascagoula abduction took place. But it happened the same time as that, and it was unexplained, and so there might have been some kind of a relationship because there was a flat going on at that time. Right, right. Um, I wonder if if there were any other unreported characteristics about UFOs uh, that are as interesting as that, uh, that that you write about in your book, specifically related to that period of time in the country. There were just a lot, all kinds of things like radar jamming and all kinds of things, um, it, radar visuals and things like that. And um, just uh, uh, a lot, there was a, actually there was a study by a scientist that um, took place in Missouri. It was, he was called Harley Rutledge mm-hmm. and started in April of 73. Three, and um, he did an actual field study. He was a skeptic and agnostic, just like scientists are. And he heard about UFOs, and he was going to go out and do a field study and disprove them instantly. <laughs> right. And he went out to disprove them, and he took um, he did it very scientifically, and took um, observers who were scientists and equipment and everything. And he had a total change of mind on the subject and did a real good study called Project Identification where they studied UFOs in the field. And you could also tell by his information that there was a huge flap that <laughs> went on about in October. And then it kind of it built up to then and then kind of died out, which was kind of like an independent study of the whole thing across the country. And it was done by scientist he was yeah. a physics professor well uh, we are hitting our very first break here on the show tonight uh, I'm talking with Dr. Irina Scott and after the break we're going to talk about like, the similarities between UFOs and USOs those being unidentified submersible objects those little rascals uh, so don't Tune out at this point. Don't tune out ever. We'll be back shortly. What is that? A deer? Is that a bear? Wait, is that a person? At night. 
your vision drastically changes. Imagine thermal imaging and the ability to see clearly up to 1,000 yards at night. That ability is a reality with AGM Global Vision, offering high-quality thermal and night vision optics. Get crisp and clear images that are Wi-Fi compatible, recordable, and storable. AGM Global Vision has an extensive range of quality-made rifle scopes, clip-on systems, spotting scopes, binoculars, goggles, lasers, and infrared illumination. Get the edge at night with crystal clear sight. Call 928-333-4300 or visit agmglobalvision.com. Use promo code TSL and get 10% off. That's agmglobalvision.com. The older we get, the more important it is to stay active and healthy. I exercise regularly, eat right, but recently some new aches and pains have really put a cramp in my routine. A good friend recently told me about Angioprim. She said Angioprim is the original liquid oral chelation supplement, helping people since 2003. Chelation helps remove toxins, heavy metals, calcium, and cholesterol in veins and arteries that may cause blockages and lead to unexplained pain. Research shows the active ingredient in Angioprim has superior oral chelation action that may help promote good cardiovascular health. After a few weeks of taking Angioprim, my pain was gone. Now I'm back and more physically active than ever. Find out more. Go to Angioprim.com, A-N-G-I-O-P-R-I-M.com, or talk to a trained consultant. Call Angioprim right now, 954-882-7221. That's 954-882-7221. Folks, this is very important information. What's to be said about CBD? AncientLifeOil.com. Our CBD is made from hemp and has .003 THC, which means this wonderful product won't get you high. No matter what amount you take, what does CBD do for the body? My hands are tied. But you can Google CBD benefits and be astounded. When you're finished reading, you'll want to log on to AncientLifeOil.com. That's AncientLifeOil.com and purchase. Life is good when you feel good. People are tired of pain. People are asking for non-GMO organic products to help them with you fill in the blank. Legal in 49 states, and again, our CBD is made from hemp. Ancient Life Oil is about helping people one by one by one. If you wonder how good the product is, the CEO takes it every day without miss. AncientLifeOil.com That's AncientLifeOil.com Have a great day. Your official contact for the best alternative talk on the planet. KGRADB.com And you're back with Edge of Reality Radio. I'm Lee Spiegel on KGRADB.com. Dr. Irina Scott is with me tonight. Her new book is Beyond Pascagoula, the rest of the amazing story. And we're in the middle of things that took place in Pascagoula, Mississippi on uh, October 11th, 1973. And we're just about to get into the topic of, and I'm not even sure if this really relates uh, to the Pascagoula, but, but these days you, you can almost hear stories about not only UFOs, but also almost in the same breath, USOs, unidentified submersible objects. And Irina, in your research, what, what did you come up with and what, what's going on with these USOs? 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, they're in the news now. Uh, for example, the TikTok object has been very much in the news in the last four years. Right. Um, in regard to the Nemitz case, which made the news um, like Time Magazine and everything. Oh, but, yeah, you, yeah. Go ahead. In in this case, uh, not too long after the um, Pascagoula abduction, well, Pascagoula again made the national news on account of an um, unidentified submarine object. This was um, it was I think it was November the sixth or something. Not very long afterwards. Oh, and it was very seriously investigated by the Navy. That people kind of made fun of the Pascal abduction, but here the the same place and the practically at the same time there was a unidentified object underwater, and um, it made the news too. And I imagine it was probably tracked at going at some phenomenal speed that that no country on earth that has any submersibles can even come anywhere close to, I would imagine. No, it wasn't that. It was just that um, nobody could figure out what it was. It was seen by fishermen. And then they contacted the um, uh, Navy and two Coast Guard officers went out and they saw it too. But nobody had any idea what it was. It was taken pretty seriously because it was in the area of um, – the shipyard of um, a Huntington Ingalls shipyard building. It was also near the Kessler Air Force Base, and it was also near a nuclear installation um, as part of the shipyard thing. And so they were quite interested in what on earth it could have been and had a number of people come out and investigate. In, in all the research that you've done with your books over the years, have you ever gone into places like, well, for example, the National Archives in Washington? Have you have you gone to places where you're able to sit at microfilm machines and look through old stories and just try and find things that are buried deep within the government archives or the military archives? Did you ever come upon things that you just weren't expecting but made you go, wow, look at this? Anything like that? All the time. Ah, <laughs> okay. I did a lot of looking for um, 
other instances of things that happened on October the 11th, I did, you can do quite a good literature search anymore on the computer without having to look through microfilms. And I found a lot of other sightings around that time and interesting events. And are these from different places or were they kind of around the Pascagoula, Mississippi area? They were all over. All over. Quite a few states. Um, off the top of your head, can you, can you pull out one that, that uh, I think we'd be, be interested in hearing about? Well, there were a number of them in Ohio. Um, in fact, actually, there had been sightings around Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and that was kind of funny because that's who was studying the um, UFOs. That's right. And there were some really good investigators out at Wright-Patterson at that time watching UFOs. At the same time, the sound was in the Pasigula abduction. One was um, Richard Hoffman, who is now uh, a scientist working for the SCU, right. which mm-hmm. UFOs. Um, but with the submarine object, um, there were 16 people that saw it. There were a number of witnesses, <laughs> and only one of them was alive, and I interviewed him. Um, and, and what did he say? He had no idea what it was. He said that first of all, he saw, and they saw this thing underwater that was, um, that was lit up and they couldn't figure out what on earth it was. And he said his father was, had a real long oar and started splashing away and hit it. And it sounded wow. like it was out of metal. Hmm. And then, uh, his father's twin was on another boat and there was another group of people and they all saw it and nobody could figure out what it was. If it, if they hit it, it would sort of go dim and then it'd light up. Sometimes it'd get really bright. And so anyway, he and his father took a boat in and got the Coast Guard <laughs> and the Coast Guard came out with a, another larger, uh, boat and the Coast Guard people saw it too. And they were hitting it, and it'd go away someplace, and then it'd appear someplace else. Jeez. And the Coast Guard was to- the Coast Guard people were totally mystified. Um, and the one Coast Guard man said that when they held an oar over the light, that it was like X-rays, and the light would go right through the oar. Wow. And so it was very, very strange. And then. Um, Later, they had some big brass from the Navy come and interview people, and they never had any idea what it was. It was just seen one night and come back, but it it had very strange behavior, and they thought it, um, whatever it was, it was intelligent. They thought it knew the seafloor in that area where Mm. the, um, and there was a trench down through the, bottom of the Pascagoula and that the object seemed to know where the trench was and follow along on it. So that was a pretty interesting thing too. Um, what was also interesting was is that the people that I told you about that may have been abducted, mm-hmm. they saw some kind of, well, they saw something go down the water, but they also saw, the woman saw something 
come up out of the water like a human or some kind of a thing that looked human. Mm-hmm. And she was terrified and couldn't figure out what it was. And <clears throat> in a way, they, you know, it was like maybe the same object or something related to it was um, traveling underwater and also called the Pascagoula abduction. Wow. This story that you just told about how the fishermen, the uh, the Coast Guard, the Navy, that they were all mystified by this thing. Did, did they mention like how far out were they from the shore where they saw this thing? I think at first they were close, but I think it uh, then started going eventually down the trench. Ah, okay. Um, and did, did did anybody even take a guess as to how big this thing was that they were looking at? Well, one person uh, thought it was about 30 feet long. Um, he described it as like a parachute that, that had kind of a dome on top and across like a parachute but they it seemed like the people that saw it had different descriptions so it wasn't real clear exactly what it looked like just just amazing you you know you you hear these stories about these usos and the the general description of one of the the flight or movement characteristics is that especially in those cases where people see them uh, even before they go into the water, they, they seem to come down from the sky and they, they're they getting closer and closer to the water and then they go into the water and then they can be picked up on the equipment of, of our submarines and they seem to be going at the same speed underwater than they were when they were still flying in the air. Well, that's that's, it's, it's like, how, how does that happen? Who's got that technology? People don't. And... That's what's funny about them with people. Submarines are totally different from airplanes, but with UFOs, yeah. <laughs> they bother them where they're, you know, what kind of media they're going through, which uh, yeah. just not exactly made like our airplanes and our submarines. Gee, you think? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, everybody's been skirting around the issue of what these things are. And I remember when when the government, uh, the intelligence community, put out their report in at the end of June, they, and it was. And in fact, we didn't. We the public didn't get to see the classified report. It was clearly the unclassified report because that's what it said right at the top of it: unclassified report. Mm-hmm. Um, and they basically were finally admitting to everybody that yes, there are things that are that are operating in our skies and we we don't have any kind of equipment that that comes anywhere near this technology it's certainly not american technology and we're we're looking into the possibility that it could be either russian or china and of course you know the people in russia and china were saying the same things it's not ours it could be china and american or it's not ours it could be russia and american and of course nobody wanted to admit that nobody had this, no country on earth had this kind of technology and they were skirting all around it and they, they came up with, I believe it was five different possibilities of what these things could be uh, leading up to the fifth one which is simply the word other. Yeah! 
Okay, other is a good is a good explanation, but <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Other, of course it's other, and at, at at least when the report came out, what was good about it, even though they didn't actually reveal everything that they know, they basically admitted that yes, there there are objects in the skies. We can't get near enough to them to pin them down. We certainly can't shoot them down. We've tried. Um, we can't outperform them. We can't outmaneuver them. And, and they, and here's the kicker, they come and go as they wish. They can, they can be wherever they want for as long as they want or as short as they want. And we, we have no control over that. However, they don't seem to be, um, Posing any threat, maybe to our national security. So we're, we're basically trying to tell you, everybody out there, please continue to fly the friendly skies. I like saying that phrase <laughs> because, you know, imagine what the airline industry feels about all of this. I mean, if people started thinking that they could step onto a jet airliner, with the possibility that the pilots could end up trying to avoid something that's coming at their aircraft. I mean, those things have happened. Uh, it's, it's a very strange story because the airline industry doesn't really want to admit this. And only recently they've allowed some of their pilots to tell their stories. And that was not the case for many years. The pilots were forbidden to discuss things like that that they encountered. And, you know, you, I interviewed many pilots and they would both, they would all say the same thing. Well, no, we're not going to talk about what we saw because it's a career killer. I, I want to keep my job. I want to get my, my uh, retirement and take care of my family. So no, I'm not going to tell you what I saw last night at 30,000 feet that we were scared to death of. No, I'm not going to tell you. So it's, it's a very strange situation. Uh, and at least now, the government is also suggesting, strongly suggesting, since we don't know what these things are, we think that science should take a, a really good close look at this, which, which, as you know, Irina, in 1969, when the, the Air Force closed its many decades of UFO studies called Project Blue Book, they closed and said, there's nothing here after all these years that we've been looking into UFOs, um, we've decided after over looking into like almost 13,000 reports, there's nothing here that we've looked at that indicates anything of any interest of a scientific possibility. So there's nothing here that's of interest to science. Also, the other thing is we're, we're not saying that there's anything here that could be of um, any kind of a threat to our national security. Well, now we know that that's not true. The military forces have always been interested in these things. The fact that there is something coming and going whenever it wants, that's national security stuff. So it's, it's like, gee, damn if you do, damn if you don't, what are we going to tell the public? We can't tell them everything we know, and we can't just keep lying to them. So I, I think we're at a point now, and Irene, you th- I want to know what you think of this too. Where, where are we in in terms of timing of what the government has said thus far, as recently as that unclassified report? What do you think? 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, uh, back in 1947, before Project Blue Book, they had um, they started with Project Sign and they had Project Grudge and then they right. had Blue Book. Well, Project Sign was actually done in a scientific way, and they said there might be something here that we don't understand. And they gave they studied the disks and things. Then that lasted about a year, and they went into Project Grudge where they debunked everything, and then they wound up. Uh, saying that Project Blue Book, there's nothing unknown to science, that every science knows everything and, <laughs> you know, couldn't possibly be anything we don't understand. So that closed in 1969. And finally here um, in 2017, well, they're right back where they were in yeah. 1947. Um, so they eventually things got out and i think a lot of that had to do with the nimbus and saying that the pilots actually some of the pilots actually came forward in spite of things and said yeah that's what we saw yeah. and they on radar and they had a number of people that admitted it and so they were they're having more trouble hiding it than they had yeah and and now they've even admitted that there are sightings now by military fighters on a daily basis off the, either the East Coast or the West Coast. So not only have these things not gone away, they seem to have been increasing in, in the sighting reports and there's nothing that can be done about them except that at least the government is not saying there's nothing to it or there's nothing of any scientific interest because now we know, well, that was a, a line of crap. And, and yet, you know, the government of the military, they don't like having any kind of egg over their face over something like this because, you know, the Air Force is in charge of basically defending our skies. The Navy's in charge of defending the oceans. Have you noticed, Irina, ever since all the news that, that, that really broke, uh, with that New York Times 2017 story about the, the Nimitz aircraft carrier, the TikTok UFO. Have you noticed how very quietly the Air Force has been keeping quiet? They're basically saying, oh, we'll, we'll let the Navy deal with this now. And all we've been hearing about or seeing all these videos and hearing from the Navy jet pilots, we haven't heard from the Air Force at all. And I don't think that's a coincidence. What do you think? Well, that was striking about the Pascagoula <coughs> thing was is that um, 
the Air Force, when they tried to to report it to the Air Force, the Air Force said, we're not taking reports. And the Navy took the uh, submarine object very seriously and investigated it um, and had reasons why. And actually, the Pascual abduction was closer to the shipyard and everything than the mm. um, submarine thing. And so there was quite a contrast way back there that the uh, Navy would do a better investigation and be more <laughs> transparent than the Air Force. Not that they were real transparent, but they were a lot compared to the Air Force. And that still seems to still be true now. But isn't, isn't it? It's almost ironic that if the Air Force uh, said, no, we're not going to uh, study this, go, go call someone, uh, go call your local Navy office because the Air Force doesn't look at this. And I'm thinking, well, okay, even, even if something that was happening under the water vehicles that also can fly in the sky, you'd think that the Air Force would at least want to be very interested in something that takes place in their jurisdiction, <laughs> which is the sky. Um, uh, you know, any way you look at it, it's, it's hard to get around it. You know, who's telling us the truth? Who do we believe? Um, will will scientists, will more scientists like yourself start to come forward and, and really be more open uh, about this? Give me a figure just off the top of your head. How many scientists would you say in your in, in your in your field or even in your acquaintances, how many scientists do you think you know are really interested in this and would like to talk about it, but they're afraid to? I don't know because I don't think too many do. Um, I uh, work in SETI um, at the uh, Ohio State University Radio Telescope, which was where they – got the wow signal which is famous yeah yeah and these people were scientists and they were quite interested um and they did have they did find something but um so far as <laughs> regular people in science they kind of harassed me if they found out i didn't exactly walk around telling people i saw ufos but if anybody found out um but i have the feeling that probably probably the same portion of scientists see UFOs as anybody else does, but that scientists keep their mouth shut about it a lot more. They're afraid of, of losing their funding, losing yeah. uh, their their stature at universities, which which is why it's great that a guy like Professor Avi Loeb at Harvard is is like raising money and, and gathering scientists for his Galileo project, which which basically is going to try. And discover not not extraterrestrial radio signals like what the SETI people are doing uh, at Harvard. They're going they're going to be looking for actual evidence of extraterrestrial technology uh, that could be out there floating around uh, within our area of detection, and and that's amazing. And and there are people who are criticizing Professor Loeb. And of course there are. I mean, because there are so many people who, who have uh, things to lose, like their tenure and their funding, as I mentioned. 
Um, but I, I, t- if I was wearing a hat right now, I'd be taking my hat off to people like him, like you. Um, you know, the SETI people, they, they don't want to lose any kind of funding that they have because how often do you hear any SETI scientist, any one of them going and, and doing an interview or talking to reporters and saying, well, you know, there are some things that people are reporting and we know about the report that came out in June and maybe, maybe we really should be looking at this possibility. None of them are saying that. They're, they're really not. There was a, an item in the news uh, within the last few weeks about how senior SETI astronomer uh, Seth Shostak uh, has hinted that he's offered to be maybe a part of Avi Loeb's uh, study team. And Avi Loeb has responded by saying, no, thank you. You know, we're, we're good. You know, we've, we've got the people who we're looking for. And so he's not. Seth Shostak is not on the official Avi Loeb Project Galileo team. And and I think that it's good that Avi Loeb wanted to make that distinction with people that, you know, you, you don't have the reputation of being open-minded enough to really want to talk about UFOs. And we're not really even talking about UFOs. We're, we're talking about real possible technology of some sort. And... Uh, and that's where we are at this point. So I wanted to um, to say that we're bringing us, uh, I'm bringing us <laughs> to our next break right now. But when we come back, uh, Dr. Scott and I are going to talk about, because she just mentioned that she has seen strange things also in the sky. And I want to know about that. And it wasn't just her. I believe uh, an important member of her family has had experiences with her. And so this is coming up on the other side of the top of the hour. So uh, stay with us. I'm Lee Spiegel. You're listening to Edge of Reality Radio on KGRADB.com. Construction companies doing business with the government can get fined or officials of the companies can go to jail if the checks aren't right. It's a law. The Bacon-Davis Act has 30-plus compliance issues for every check. But there is an easy way for construction companies to be in compliance. EMARS offers Compliant Client, a web-based system that finds and corrects all 30 of the possible out-of-compliance check issues. Users report an 80% savings in time and money. A weekly payroll usually takes about five minutes. All 48,000-plus clients of EMARS have never had a compliance issue. Plus, they sleep better on check day. Contact EMARS at emarsinc.com. Again, emarsinc.com. Or call 480-595-0466. That number again is 480-595-0466. A birthday without her mom. An anniversary without her husband. Her wedding day without her dad. These are the days when military families feel it most of all. The loss of their soldier, their sailor, their airman, their marine, their coast guardsman. Families never forget their loved ones lost to war or illness or suicide. Families never forget. And neither do we. We are taps. 
the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. We provide resources, support, and comfort to heal the hearts and meet the needs of grieving military families, all at no cost to them. Your generosity can make an enormous difference in the lives of the families of our fallen military heroes. Our military families need to know they are not alone and they are not forgotten. Show them your support at TAPS.org. You sometimes see them flying or running across the floor. Ooh, yuck. They're unhealthy, gross, and disgusting. Bugs. I loathe bugs. We keep a clean home, but occasionally bugs show up. Well, I found something that is tougher than bugs. Orange Guard. On contact, it kills ants, roaches, fleas, and a bunch of other bugs. Plus, Orange Guard is a residual repellent. All of the ingredients of Orange Guard are on the FDA generally recognized as safe list. Orange Guard may be used around food, humans, and pets. It's the clear choice. Look for Orange Guard in the clear bottle. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, Orange Guard won't hurt the planet. Orange Guard, available at Ace Hardware and Whole Foods Markets. Hello, everyone. This is Bill Skywalker, producer at KGRADB.com. Make sure to visit the website and sign up to become a member for exclusive access to the video content for our shows in their entirety. Make sure to visit KGRADB.com if you want to see all the great shows on KGRADB.com. We hope to see you there, and we hope you enjoy all the great content on the website. Now you have the inside contact for Alternative Talk Radio. Back on Edge of Reality Radio on KGRADB.com. I'm Lee Spiegel with Dr. Irina Scott, the author of Beyond Pascagoula, the rest of the amazing story. And her website is irinascott.com, and it's spelled I-R-E-N-A-S-C-O-T-T.com. And I'll get that out again later near the end of the show. Uh, and I want to start getting into some of your own personal experiences, Irina. But first, I, I know that you were involved with the Battelle Memorial Institute in Ohio, which is well known for its long history of scientific discoveries and technological advances. What was your involvement with Battelle, if, if you can actually talk about it? Oh, well, mine was uh, just in... Um, n- Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Main pharmacokinetics mainly uh, studying how substances degrade in the environment. I didn't have anything to do with their UFO study was in the uh, 1950s. And I knew people that had been part of that. And in conversations with them, what did they tell you was the interest at Battelle Memorial Institute back in the 1950s? What were they doing? What were they looking at? Well, they worked on uh, a project called uh, Special Report 14, where we did a massive statistical study of UFO reports from um, that was collected by Project Blue Book. Now, did, did the people at Patel create this special report number 14? No, it was a uh, – Patel takes um, – they're a research organization, but they take contracts, and they were contracted by the Air Force by Project Blue Book okay. to do the study. Um, Okay, so so then so the Air Force, I see. So they did the study. And then when they were done, they just handed it over back to the uh, the Air Force. Well, it was at the one of the times when the Air Force was busy debunking UFOs, and they had a thing called the Robertson panel. Right. They had um, these big scientific authorities that were authorities on all kinds of things except UFOs, and. Um, they had a big study and said, oh, there's nothing to it, the, you know, the standard thing. There's science knows everything. There's nothing we don't know. Um, UFOs are nothing. Everybody ex- understands them. And at the same time, they had a secret study going on at Mattel to study UFOs. So they were obviously um, not being honest with the public. Do you recall – uh, or oh, here's a better question. Did you ever have a chance to see a copy of uh, the report number 14? Yeah. Ah, what and what did your eyes look at? <laughs> Please tell me. Well, what my eyes looked at was um, it was the type of thing that nobody would ever read because it was all statistics. Mm. But I had had statistics and in my book, Sacred Quarters, um, I we did <laughs> some of their statistics to study things, and um, uh, Dr. Bruce McAbee had had um, done a study of their study and said that it actually said the opposite of what they said. After um, they said they found nothing, but actually their statistics showed that um, that. Um, well, UFOs are presented as misidentifications and in cases that, um, where they don't have information. Well, he said that for one thing, the, um, it, the sightings where they had the best information was where they had the best unknown, um, or UFOs that the UFOs had really good information compared to lots of other things. And then they did a statistical study 
that they were uh, saying they were misidentifications of all kinds of things. And they did this um, statistics. They used chi-squared and they compared um, um, reports where people where they had never, ever been able to explain the object compared to ones that later were found to be something that explainable like airplanes or right um, and this came out with their statistics about um one in a billion chance that <laughs> that ufos actually exist that um that they aren't just misidentifications when they compared like things like color and time and how many you see at once and things like that compared airplanes to the total to the what they identified as the real unknown, there was a huge statistical difference, and so their results were actually just about the opposite of what anybody expected. I I did see also a copy of the special report number fourteen because I was I was shown it by <clears throat> by the the late uh, Stanton Friedman, a nuclear physicist, and. Um, he, he was like he was all over anything that involved behind the scenes investigations. And mm-hmm. uh, unless I'm wrong, I think that there was something about special report number 14 that implied that some UFOs could conceivably be interplanetary vehicles. Uh, do you recall seeing something like that when you saw it? No, hmm, I, okay. I have a laying here. I could dig it out. I don't remember that, but they were certainly statistically different than um, sightings that of uh, normal objects in the air. There was a huge statistical difference. Okay. Now, I I, I also know <clears throat> uh, that one of the things that that have, has been investigated, I don't know to what extent, uh, at Battelle Memorial Institute are cases and pieces of what people are referring to as meta-materials. This is the new word of the year, meta-materials, pieces or fragments uh, of supposed UFOs that had either crashed or exploded or a variety of things that were seen dripping from them in the sky. I mean, a variety of things that had accumulated various pieces of these things from around the world. And it's my understanding that the Battelle uh, Institute was studying these things. Uh, Are you aware of that, or do you know anything about that? I think we were the first people to report that. Um, When they did the... Special Report 14, people around the tail were very curious because it was a statistical study. Mm-hmm. And um, so you'd think they would hire stati- statisticians, but instead they hired my- metallurgists. And people <laughs> wondered about that way back then. Yeah. And then uh, um, mm-hmm. another person I published in a local publication, I think it was in 1994, that this man had um, talked about studying metal. He was a 
a metallurgist and quite a good one and had a lot of publications. And he had said that this was um, from a Christ UFO in New Mexico. He didn't announce that in a newspaper. He just had told one of his friends. And so we published the whole thing that he said that um, he had told one of his friends that uh, he was working on metal. And we published that in 1994. Well, then uh, when uh, Carrie and Smith um, published their book, they uh, quoted our publication. That was quite a bit later. And so um, then they talked about um, memory metal and all that. For yeah. It really hit the newspaper after that. First time I ever heard the the, uh, the concept of memory metal was, I think, during an interview that I did in 1979 with former intelligence officer from Roswell, uh, Jesse Marcel. And, um, and I was, I was introduced to him by Stan Friedman because Stan had sort of stumbled onto Jesse Marcel. And, and this was, as I said, this was in like uh, 1978, 79 when the public had pretty much forgotten anything even related to something called Roswell UFO crash 30 years after the fact. And Stan was being the bulldog of UFOs that he was. He started really tracking down and he was the first civilian investigator of Roswell. And he, he told me one day that he had met Jesse Marcel, who was the Army Air Force officer who went out to the famous crash site uh, outside of Roswell and he was ordered to pick up as much of the debris that was out there and he said the place there was so much debris there it was scattered around like what looked like more than one football field in size now of course the uh, the army tried to pull uh, a whitewash over the the whole thing claiming it was a weather balloon well how much debris does a weather balloon give you is enough for a couple of football fields <laughs> i mean really um and he he went up there with a, a couple of officers and a truck and and they were picking things up and 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 the, as the story goes he said that there was there were some pieces of this material that that came out of the sky and if it was a weather balloon, it had to be the, the most sophisticated weather balloon in the history of weather balloons that they, they couldn't dent it, they couldn't burn it, they couldn't smash it, they couldn't bend it, and smaller pieces of it were as thin as the foil in a cigarette package. And and he said that they could take some of this foil material and crunch it all up into a little ball in his hand, and when he opened his hand the thing just opened up again to its original size. And that was the first thing I ever heard of that was considered memory metal. It remembered its original shape. And people still talk about that. Again, what what do we have now? Even now, do we have memory metal that we've somehow developed? What, what do you think about that? We don't have anything like it. Um, but I think there was evidence way, way back um, then that um, 
you see, it's like a myth that they sent it to Wright Patterson, that they sent a sample. But actually, there was an Air Force uh, radio show going on, and the announcer, right in the middle of the of his show, I mean, I have there's a recording of this, mm-hmm. stopped and said that the um, debris is being sent to um, Wright Patterson. There was a stop in Fort Worth, first of all, which is that's right. Yeah. Um, but and then he said he had called Wright Patterson and that they were about to land and that they weren't there yet. Well, that was about as firm as you could get that <laughs> it was, <laughs> that something was actually sent. We're 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 flying a weather balloon to Wright Patterson because that's all we think it is. It's just a weather balloon. <laughs> That has something in it that is called uh, memory metal, but we're taking it to Wright Patterson. When when you were at Wright Patterson, were you ever involved or privy to conversations about things like that? You know, so many people used to say, "Well, we, we've got the alien bodies, and we're going to bring some of them to Wright Patterson. Maybe we're going to bring the others over to Area 51 because uh, we know that that's where the ships are being uh, looked at." Well, what, what was what was your experience like at Wright Patterson? Well, I've been in the um, in the uh, secured area. I'd even taken pictures in the secured area and things. Um, and I'd heard all those stories. And there were places where I thought there were underground um, uh. Uh, <coughs> vaults. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Some things, but I I wasn't. I, I had been in actually in what was called the blue room, although I didn't know at the time. But I was um, when I was in buildings, I was escorted, so I didn't get to wander <laughs> and see anything. Um, so I've heard all those stories, and I think there are underground vaults and things like that. Well, of course, what, what was it? What was it? What were you there for? What was your uh, your mission, or what was the the job that you were doing there? Well, once I I hadn't uh, worked for Wright Patterson, but uh, places I worked for sent me to conferences there, so I was on base a number of times, and then also I uh, became acquainted with the archivist there, and uh-huh. he who sent showed another person and I around the base, and we went into what was called the Blue Room, although we didn't know it then, to mm. actually um, attended a UFO conference. Mm. Um, hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It was um, just a um, like a um, alumni of Project Blue Book and things like that. So I got to see quite a bit of Wright Patterson, even though I wasn't working there. Wow, you've you've been all around. I mean, I, I also know you were you were with the Defense Intelligence Agency, which has 
an interesting, I like their, their overall mission. I love the mission. And I, I saw this online. Uh, their actual mission is, quote, to provide intelligence on foreign militaries to prevent and decisively win wars, end quote. Okay, what was your role there at the DIA? Well, the reason I was in it was because I wanted to be an astronomer, and unfortunately they did not hire females back then, and I oh. got older. And so I went into mapping, and then I was still trying to get into astronomy some way. And so eventually I wound up at the DIA working in satellite photography because I had a a real high security clearance. And one of the positions I had there, um, it was a GS9, which is like considered PhD. But anyway, one of my positions was identifying aircraft. And so that's kind of interesting. They keep track of, um, well, during the Cold War, but I, I imagine they certainly do now, of any type of military aircraft all over the world with their um, satellite photography. Yeah. Wow. And, and so, so you couldn't be an astronomer there, but they put you into, into satellite photography. I mean, that, that's, that's not exactly a, a demotion, <laughs> I would think, uh, to be there. Wow. How, how long were you there at the Defense Intelligence Agency? Uh, altogether for the government with, in cartography and with the DIA, it was five, over five years. Wow. So you, you, well, what an interesting place to go to work to every day, I imagine. It was, um, there was a lot of security. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wow. Female, so it wasn't really delightful all the time. That, that, that's so weird though, that really it was, there was a policy where they, they weren't or didn't want to hire a woman astronomer? Oh yeah. I mean, male wow. only for a long time. That's 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 amazing. I mean, you know, we all hear about these stories where women are, are protesting and fighting to be able to get certain kind of positions to at least equal what men can do. But but in science, I I just never knew that that was going on there as well. Wow. What what was their reasoning? I have to know why why did they turn you down? Because of your gender, what, what what was that about? Well, they don't do it now, but back then they advertised jobs as male only and female only. Wow, wow. <laughs> that's amazing! It's uh, and everything. Wow. Well, I, do you regret uh, not becoming an astronomer at that point in your life? I certainly do. That's the only thing I wanted to do was an astronomer, and I didn't. Wow. Get- um, well, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I'm, I, I feel, I feel really badly that you had to go through that. Now, who are these people? <laughs> so. Well, you can now. I mean, there's no, nothing like that now and people don't even believe it, but back then there sure was. Well, I want to know, um, we can start to get into this now before the break. Um, what is it about UFOs that, that you're attracted to? And I, I know that in one of your earlier books, Inside the Lightning Ball, Scientific Study of Lifelong UFO Experiences, you talk about people who experienced childhood UFO sightings and subsequent events in their lives. 
Now, I understand you have something you'd like to say about yourself and your sister. Please tell us. Well, that's why I'm in it was because of my own experience. If it didn't happen to me, I'd be a hardcore scientist and say, oh, there's nothing to it, probably. Mm. Although I hope I'd be more open-minded. But um, the first thing that happened, um, well, um, Jenny Randalls wrote a book in the 1990s called Star Children. Mm. It was about that some people have UFO experiences when they're very young, and then the same people have uh, experiences later. So they see more than one, and most people don't even see one. Yeah. That's sort of a trend. Well, uh, this happened long before Jenny Reynolds wrote that, and it was before uh, we had ever even heard of UFOs or spacemen or anything. We were on the poor side, and my father had <laughs> been uh, farming with horses right beforehand. I was about six, and my sister was about four, and we weren't influenced by the media we just had one radio and that was after my parents put in electricity Mm. so we didn't know much about anything um and um we were sleeping in an attic room one on one side and one on the other with a ceiling where the walls come together and um it was dark and night and it was also a clear night and i have reasons for knowing that um but I woke up, and this thing was flying around the room. Uh, I had no idea what it was, and it was interesting. It looked like a little piece of metal. It looked like it looked actually looked like a literal tete object. Now it looked like a cough drop or something. It was about the color of hot iron, and glowed. It was dark in our room, and it was just flying around just sort of browsing Hmm. and at that age you don't have a whole lot of brains but i realized that it it was dark in the room but it seemed to know where it was going and i mean it would head toward a wall and then it would turn before it got to the wall and it would avoid furniture and things like that like it could see or something it seemed to know where everything was i mean i knew where the furniture was because i you know i'd been there in the daylight but this thing was flying around and it got close to us several, to both of us several times. I didn't know my sister was awake, but she apparently knew I was awake. Um, but, um, our room was closed. The door was closed. The window was closed and the other door was closed. And I just watched it and wondered, what on earth is this thing? And it seemed like it knew where things were, like you could see. And so anyway, after, browsed around a while it got kind of close to both of us it headed up toward the ceiling and then before it got to the ceiling it turned and then before it got to the there was a a chandelier in the middle of the room and before it got to that it turned and started circling the chandelier but it knew where the walls were and it knew where the chandelier was and it circled and circled and circled and circled and circled for a while and it seemed that I had the impression it speeded up a little, but I'm not sure. And Did it make came, any, any make any noise? No, there was no noise. Okay. And then it came down in a spiral. Well, at that point, my sister and I suddenly became so terrified you couldn't believe it, just like that, just in a second. And we both started screaming, 
and ran out of the room. And we were so terrified, we fell down the stair steps. And then we couldn't get the door open because we were scrambling. And finally, we did. And we went shrieking to our parents. And they didn't believe us. And so, anyway, (laughs) um, that made no sense to me for many, many years until I read Jenny Randall's book. Because I didn't even, you know, it wasn't like a UFO. They were presented as airplanes or something like that. So, well, let me let me stop you right there because we're we're right on to uh, the beginning of our last break. But I want to come back right to this moment. Um, when we do come back, it's more with Dr. Irene Scott. We're going to hear the rest of this close encounter with something that knew how to find its way in the dark. Uh, I'm Lee Spiegel, and this is Edge of Reality Radio on KGRADB.com. We'll be right back. What is that? A deer? Is that a bear? Wait, is that a person? At night, your vision drastically changes. Imagine thermal imaging and the ability to see clearly up to 1,000 yards at night. That ability is a reality with AGM Global Vision, offering high-quality thermal and night vision optics. Get crisp and clear images that are Wi-Fi compatible, recordable, and storable. AGM Global Vision has an extensive range of quality-made rifle scopes, clip-on systems, spotting scopes, Binoculars, goggles, lasers, and infrared illumination. Get the edge at night with crystal clear sight. Call 928-333-4300 or visit agmglobalvision.com. Use promo code TSL and get 10% off. That's agmglobalvision.com. Thousands of wounded warriors returning from battle. Wounded Warrior Project has developed the Warriors to Work program. A career counseling service that helps wounded warriors translate their military experience to a civilian job. These extraordinary men and women bring more than just teamwork and inspiration to the workplace. They bring proven world-class job skills. And to ensure proper placement... Wounded Warrior Project works with employers to find just the right job fit. Talented, skilled, and eager to get back to work, you have the opportunity to hire a seasoned veteran. Contact Wounded Warrior Project at findwwp.org. Welcome home, the brave. Folks, this is very important information. What's to be said about CBD? AncientLifeOil.com. Our CBD is made from hemp and has 0.003 THC, which means this wonderful product won't get you high. No matter what amount you take, what does CBD do for the body? My hands are tied. But you can Google CBD benefits and be astounded. When you're finished reading, you'll want to log on to AncientLifeOil.com. That's AncientLifeOil.com and purchase. Life is good when you feel good. People are tired of pain. People are asking for non-GMO organic products to help them with, (laughs) you fill in the blank. Legal in 49 states, and again, our CBD is made from hemp. Ancient Life Oil is about helping people one by one by one. If you wonder how good the product is, the CEO takes it every day 
without miss. AncientLifeOil.com. That's AncientLifeOil.com. Have a great day. Hi, folks. These uncertain times can cause uncertain gut slowdown. Worrying fear can wreak havoc on our digestion, making it hard to feel optimum. Bloating, less energy, and occasional constipation can slow you down in your daily activity. Try Life Change Tea to get the tea.com. Life Change Tea can help get things moving so you can get that boost of energy you need. Life Change Tea helps protect and defend your health from intruders. It's a weird time right now with all the uncertainty, so gear up and defend your health. Where do you go to purchase? Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. The specials are on the front page, and we have numerous supplements to help combat intruders. It's time to take charge of our health and to feel better in life. It's time to live. Again, GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. GetTheTea.com. It is so worth it. Get the T-T-E-A dot com. Hello, everyone. This is Bill Skywatcher, producer at KGRADB dot com. Make sure to visit the website and sign up to become a member for exclusive access to the video content for our shows in their entirety. Make sure to visit KGRADB dot com. You want to see all the great shows on KGRADB.com. We hope to see you there, and we hope you enjoy all the great content on the website. Your alternative talk radio contact, KGRADB.com. We are back. Or you are back on Edge of Reality Radio. I'm Lee Spiegel, and I'm talking with Dr. Irina Scott, author of Beyond Pascagoula, The Rest of the Amazing Story. And her website is irinascott.com. And speaking of the rest of the amazing story, before the break, we were in the middle of an amazing story. Um, Irina and her sister, years ago, were awakened in the middle of a dark, night in their bedroom and they saw something floating around, flying around, darting in and out of, of their room, seemingly knowing how to avoid bumping into things. Um, what was the last moment that you actually saw this thing, Irina? It made just an exact spiral down under the lamp. I mean, it had been circling and it just made a spiral, just like if you drew a line straight down from the lamp. What the spiral went down, but it got closer and closer to right the set, right under the lamp. And then, um, we both began to scream. Mm. It, I think, um, I might have thought it made a noise or something. And my sister said she didn't hear anything. At, but we both just became terrified at exactly the same time. Yeah. And ran out of the room. And, um, yeah. I didn't. For years and years and years, but after I read Jenny Randall's book and thought about it, well, it was like there was some kind of thought control because this thing just looked like a piece of metal, but it seemed to act like it knew where things were. And then we had both woken up at approximately the same time. We weren't talking to each other or anything. I didn't hear any noise or anything, so I don't know why we woke up at the same time. And then we both became terrified at the same time. And 
just for no reason. And it seemed like it made me think that maybe there was some kind of mind control or something going on. You know, it's interesting you would say that. I know that you've written about how the phenomenon, the UFO phenomenon, might be somehow interactive with human thoughts. What do you mean by that? Well, <laughs> that's from my own experience. Um, mm. My sister and I had that. And then we're the only people. Um, Jenny Reynolds talked about people having experience when they were kids and then adults. But my sister and I are the only people I know of where two people together had, you know, a childhood experience and then an adult experience, too. And so we had quite an adult experience many years later. And what was that? Well, that was um, when we got older. We hadn't talked about UFOs or anything because you weren't supposed to do that. And our parents were <laughs> skeptics and they didn't allow that. And that oh. sort of thing. But um, when I was working for the DIA in Washington, D.C., and she was um, going to Drew University for post-grad work, we were both on the East Coast and mm -hmm. we'd take a vacation and go up to the New England states. And we were going to stay all night in Boston and then go up along the coast and come back down. And so we, um, I picked up a couple of people that also worked for the DIA and went up and they wanted to see New York. So we let them out and, um, took pictures and I picked my sister up and we drove up to Boston and it was still daylight. Um, and so before looking for a motel, we decided to just drive on up and I took route three from, uh, the outer belt around Boston and drove up and an interesting little thing was, is that we went to New Hampshire and we covered some same area that the, uh, Barney and Betty mm -hmm. Hill been and came back to Boston and looked for motels and we didn't find anything. Everything was filled up. And so we decided to go around and look at the outer belt. And so we were leaving Boston and there was, um, as we were, I think we were on Route 9 and we were leaving Boston and going toward the Outer Belt. There was a airport south of us called the Norwood Memorial Airport. And we could see airplanes coming in and landing and they had the green and red lights and the uh, strobe lights and everything like normal airplanes and they were landing and things so we could see them. And there was this other light below the, um, airplanes and it was a, just a real white light and it was blinking off and on it didn't look anything like an airplane and my sister kept looking at it and saying you know this is odd something's wrong and then she said maybe it was a ufo and i just really debunked her and said oh you know it couldn't be that you know you're crazy and um I think she she has real sharp eyes. She bird watches and can see like a warbler way off in the distance when mm -hmm. I see an ostrich. But um, anyway, she kept saying that, and we both then admitted to each other that we'd seen UFOs, even though we <laughs> never said anything about it. And so we, I turned on the the outer belt, and then I I couldn't find anything. I don't know if I was looking, and. Um, went on Route 95, which is uh, the main uh, freeway along the coast. And we were heading down there, and there was a woods on one side, 
and this I saw this globe and inside of it was a light and the light was going through um a spectrum of red and blue it go all shades of red and all shades of blue and all shades of red again mm. and i had no idea what it was it seemed to be on the ground or right above it and then the inside of our car lit up in green <laughs> and i couldn't figure out what that was and i looked at the thing and it wasn't green and i just mystified and couldn't figure out what was going on and then we continued and after a while, my sister just started screaming at me to pull over because she said the thing that she, the, the big thing that um, the other thing, I mean, it was no longer green inside. it. We just kept on going and we were arguing about the thing. And so she started screaming and shrieking and telling me to pull over. And I thought she was crazy. And so I pulled over and I pointed out the window and I saw a meteor way off in the distance and then. I was going to say if it came over that, um, you know, she was crazy. It was a helicopter. And so it came over. Well, I knew then it wasn't a helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) And so I didn't say, you know, I might have thought I was going to say dingbat, you're crazy. And so I didn't say that. But in her report, at the same time, she said that she saw the thing shine a light on us, it was sort of like a real blue light. And I didn't see that. She said um, that then the inside of the car lit up, and I didn't notice that, but I was on the side uh, toward the thing. We came over very slowly over the road, and it had um, like seven windows. Hmm. By that time, we'd got out of the car, and we'd seen um, blimps before, and we'd seen blimps with lighted sides. And we asked each other, is this a blimp? Are these lighted sides? And we thought we were looking through windows in the thing. It had yeah. seven windows, and they were bleaking in a sequence. And it had um, real white light, just very, very white. And it had a um, red light on one end and a green light on the other. It didn't blink. It were very dim. Um, it went uh, perpendicular to our line of sight and to the freeway. And it was very, very clear and close. And so anyway, I was in photography at uh, DIA and I had a um, Polaroid that had high speed film. And so I got my film out and my Polaroid out and I was trying to get the film and the thing as fast as I could. And my sister in her report said that it seemed to take me a real long time to do that. <laughs> Why? But anyway, while I was doing that, and I thought, you know, I was in photography anyway. And I thought, boy, I could just get a priceless picture because if I got that in two, three pictures in stereo and yeah, you know, yeah. a little back bit of background, well, I could prove UFO exists. And it's like, well, it would be like yeah. quite a one. And so this truck driver pulled over. And just when I had my camera loaded and the thing was up in the air, well, he asked me, um, he stood right beside me and asked, what are you doing? I mean, at first I thought, you know, this is wonderful. We have another witness. Mm-hmm. And then he said, what are you doing? Which made no sense. And so I pointed at it and I didn't say UFO or anything like that. I just like it was an airplane said, what's that? Well, he turned out around in exactly the opposite uh, direction, looked in just as opposite as he could. 
and then turned around and said he didn't see anything. And I thought this was crazy because I thought this thing was right there. <laughs> and my sister in her report said that it suddenly seemed to get from one place to another. Um, and anyway, then he asked me again, what are you doing? Or, and so I pointed again and he turned around. He just rotated around, looking exactly the opposite direction, like he knew where it was and said, I don't see anything. Then he turned back, looked at me, and he gave me an emotion. I think he pointed at his head or something, which I I don't remember. I think that was the motion he made. And I interpreted that as he was telling me I was crazy. Well, he just made me miss this wonderful picture. And I didn't notice it until I read my sister's report, but the object was quite a ways away after that. And anyway, I was still trying to get a picture, though. And so there was a hill. And I I was afraid with the high-speed film, I'd get lens flares or something. So I um, was going to run up the hill, and my sister just said, don't do that. And we got in an argument about it. And I didn't understand that because I was telling her that she had to go guard the car against the truck driver. So finally I went up and I got picture a picture and I didn't understand it for a long time, but eventually I did. And I wrote that up in a scientific journal too. But anyway, I got back down and the thing started circling the airport and it would go in a pattern there where it would blink its lights on twice on half a circle and then take the other half of the circle going north to south so fast you couldn't even see it. And it was unbelievable. And so then um, I thought it might go north. We'd been following it south, but for some reason I thought it was going to go north. And so I was going to get on the freeway and turn the car around and go north. And I got on the freeway, and this man, the truck driver, got right behind me, his light his bright lights on, shown him in my mirror so that I was blinded. And I slowed down and speeded up and changed lanes and everything else. Stayed right on my bumper and blinding me, shining his lights in my mirror. And I didn't know what to do. I thought we were going to get killed. And I finally, yeah. you know, he's a big, heavy truck. I mean, it was like a big U-Haul. And I ought to outrun him. So I tried that. And it didn't work. And then I finally thought I will go down the left-hand lane, and when I see the next intersection, I'll just suddenly swerve and get off the freeway. Wow. If somebody had been coming faster than us on the other lane, we were in trouble. And I asked, yeah, yeah. can you see behind us? And she said, no. And I couldn't see behind us because of yeah, I couldn't see anything because this thing was shining in my mirror. <laughs> so I, And I got off the freeway, and he didn't follow us anymore. So I came back and I was still really wanting to get the picture and um, it was still circling the airport. And we got up about even with it and then it took off to the northwest. Well, I came back up the outer belt and um, the thing, the green, the car the up in green again. And then we followed it. A long ways, but I couldn't catch up with it. Finally, we were on this really bad, horrible road with it was gravel with 
houses a long ways away from each other and bumps and everything. And I couldn't catch up with it. So I turned around. We went on back to <laughs> Drew University that night. Adventure. No picture. <laughs> Got a picture. Um, I didn't understand the picture at all for a long time because it just made no sense at all to me. But after a while, I asked some other people and they said it was um, it was just squiggles. But they it was two squiggles that made a trace with each other, which I noticed. And then it was also two blinks. So I'd gotten it was the thing was farther away. All I could see at that time was just one light. But I was getting two lights on my picture and they moved up and down, which was just due to me having a handheld picture, making a camera, making time exposure. But after a while, I figured Hmm. out that this was one of the squiggles was the light I saw. And the thing, the other squiggle wasn't exactly like it. And I thought that. The other squiggle was a light that wasn't in um, the visual range. And so I called, I contacted Polaroid and they said, yes, you could get, you know, certain um, uh, nanometers of light that would photograph that you couldn't see. And so I wrote that up in a scientific journal. <laughs> and the object remains unexplained. Yeah, I reported several places and it remained unexplained. Nobody. Yeah, could. yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for telling me that. That's that. Wow. I'm and I'm glad that you and your sister get out of that situation in one piece. Actually, oh, we didn't get killed. Wow. <laughs> Said goodbye to her and thought this was the end. Wow. Well, we we only have a few minutes left, and I, I wanted to ask you because I know we were talking about this a couple of days ago. Uh, tell me. Whatever you want to tell me about how years ago your husband worked at Area 51 north of Las Vegas. Um, how did you first come to even know about that? Well, at the time, people were UFO dormant, and I didn't ask him. I had lots of questions now, and he's dead. But um, when we first moved, we moved to when we first married, we moved to Las Vegas. And that's because he had worked on the test site. And um, when the information about Area 51 came out, he said, yeah, he'd worked there. Um, and so he told me some about it. And I don't know if he had classified things he couldn't talk about or not. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because as I, as I understand it, well, I mean, did he actually say to you, you could ask me about it, but I can't tell you what I did there. Was there anything like that? No, but I didn't even think about it. <laughs> mm. I just, there's a mill. I mean, we drove around the desert and he kind of showed me where it was. And I didn't pay enough attention to it then because people were just repressed, repressed on UFOs. Uh. He told me he worked there and things and I didn't pay attention at all. Um, so, uh, he, told me he that most of it was underground and things like that. Ah, underground, yeah. Okay. I mean I guess I guess if I was creating and testing new stealth technology, I'd like to do that underground too. <laughs> and then 
and then get it out of the hangar and take it out for a test flight and then bring it back underground. But who, but I don't know how the, how the military does what they do, but, uh, and, and so you never had any more discussions with him about Area 51, I assume. Yeah, I ask him questions and, but they were just routine questions. I'd have a lot more questions now. So yeah. Cities underground and things like that. Um, he always talked about Groom Lake and how it was a natural runway and all that. So they almost <laughs> had a man-made, a natural-made runway to test all these things out. Yeah. I, mean, I, I have met some workers, former workers from Area 51, uh, at the the National Atomic Energy and the National Atomic Testing Museum, that's uh, in Las Vegas, and I was at a, uh, a lecture there, and they had brought forth some workers who some of them were still working there, and and they all agreed. They all said that that once you start working at a place like Area 51, regardless of what the work is that you're doing, you you could you could be working in the same building. Uh, just separated by, by doors or windows from the other side of the building. And you were, you were not privy to what someone was working on, on the other side of the wall. And they were all, they all knew and they had to sign letters of agreement that, that they were not to ever reveal to their wives, family, friends, anybody <clears throat> what it is they did at Area 51. Um, otherwise you'd, you'd, know, you'd not work there any longer. So that was always kind of a standard routine there. Um, and I suppose your husband probably went along with that at the time. Well, I had worked for the DIA in satellite photography and that was the same way. You were supposed to just disappear. Um, oh, yeah. Not yeah. Um, I mean, it's in, in the open now, like Area 51 was back in those days. Um, so, you know, if, I guess I would have had an idea about him. Um, what I said before was, is that, um, he, he would talk about being in rooms with, um, like airplanes and things, which he assumed were airplanes that they were covered up and he wasn't allowed to look at things <laughs> like that, even though he had a good clearance. Well, let me, let me, I think I have time for one more good question for you. I, I'm sure that my audience would like to know, and I would like to know your personal opinion about what, what some of the UFO phenomenon is and where it might originate from. I know you've probably thought about this a lot with all the things that you've written. What do you think is happening? I don't know. It, uh, it, in reading the literature, it appears that Something like that is happening to people from way, way back, and they interpreted it differently. Um, you know, if you saw a big globe back in Bible times, it might be an angel or something. Right. And if you were around a big globe and you saw a person like I did, that man, it turned out my, I just found out recently, my, when I talked to him, my sister didn't know he was there, which I just mm-hmm. found out that a few months ago. But, um, when we when that happened, we didn't talk to each other for like about six years because we both moved and we didn't see each other. Um, but I wrote real good notes on exactly what I saw right afterwards. Um, but um, I had the impression that there's mind control. I mean, that's what I thought after 
thinking about that thing that happened when we were kids. Right. And this again, talking to the strange man and things that, um, you know, when we were kids, we both woke up in the room and this thing was in there. But we had no idea how it got in or when it got in or anything. We just woke up and there it was. And the same thing, it was just like somebody turned a switch on our brains and suddenly we both became terrified, even though we'd both just been watching it before. And it was like, um, maybe they can make you see things and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I used to wonder, you know, if, if there is some some kind of visual activity that's being projected onto our senses, the, the question is, well, who's running the projector, <laughs> you know, um, which is something that we we just don't know about. Um, it's bringing us right to the uh, the end of tonight's show. I would like to know, uh, Irina, what what uh, book are you working on now? Because I can't wait for the the new one, and there already is the new one that's just come out. What what are you up to now? Well, I'm working uh, co-author with Philip Mantle, and we're doing another one on Pascagoula. We found a lot more witnesses. Ah, okay. <laughs> Interesting people and. Um, this is a very well-documented event. Um, you can find out a lot of things with modern techniques about old um, events back then. Well, I, I I can't wait to see that. And uh, I thank you. I can't thank you enough for being here. And you gave us all some much-needed, credible information and, and talk about food for thought. Um for more information about Dr. Scott, her website is irenascott.com, and I'll spell that for you. It's I-R-E-N-A-S-C-O-T-T dot com. That's irenascott.com. Also, check out her new book on Amazon, uh, Beyond Pascagoula, The Rest of the Amazing Story. We heard some amazing stories right here tonight. Uh, thank you again, Irina, and I, I wish you and all of your loved ones continued health in these very trying times. And I do now really look forward to your return visit to the show. You will come back, won't you? I will be delighted to. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you here today. And um, and here's a big ongoing thank you to my wife and best friend, Lorraine, who helps me to maintain a daily routine of anti-coronavirus behavior. I continue to wish all of you out there excellent health and positive thoughts. And I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge and offer a very special thank you to my former producer and good friend, Mr. Race Hobbs, who recently said goodbye to KGRA after a long and successful decade. As a program director, Race always has his hands on the pulse of how to present diverse alternative programs. Race, thank you for always keeping me in line, and I wish you great success from this moment on. And I must, of course, say thank you to my new producer, Mr. Bill Skywatcher. Although this is not the first time he's kept everything running technically smooth on Edge of Reality Radio, but now, Bill, it's you and me. And I'm looking forward to it. 
Thanks for joining me, everyone. I'm Lee Spiegel. This has been Edge of Reality Radio on KGRADB.com. Until next time, remember, stay safe and comfortable. And as always, let's keep our minds open out there.